Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. everybody what's going on welcome to another edition of the nomad strength show we have a super fun and special episode today returning on the podcast we have new york times best-selling author and former navy seal jack carr of the terminal list series uh this was a super fun conversation today. We only had a little bit of time with Jack, so it was a super fast-paced conversation. And uh, like he does, he can cover some incredible ground in a, in a small amount of time. And we got into a bunch of really cool things, um, mainly talking about the the new novel, the new Amazon series, which is going to premiere here in a couple of months as of the airing of this uh, podcast. And then we also got some some time to talk about his actual writing process and and what he does to get into the zone of how do I sit down and create these worlds and these stories and and what is the what is the steps what are the what are the steps I need to take to make a story I want to tell and uh, it was really interesting for me to hear about how he goes about his process and it's always so fun to talk to him he is uh, has such great energy and tells great stories and this episode was no different uh, as of this day that is recording the new book in the blood is coming out tomorrow you can still probably pre-order it on amazon uh, but it is getting released tomorrow on tuesday so please go check it out i read the book he sent it to me about a month or so ago it is unreal uh true believer the second novel was my favorite one until this one and this one takes the cake and it is so action-packed and the story's awesome and i can't wait for the amazon series that's coming out in july we talk a little bit about that how the production of that went and if it stayed true to his ideas for the story and having chris pratt be the lead and there's just a lot of cool stories and a lot of cool things we got to cover in this episode and so i'm very grateful for jack for making the time uh during this crazy 
time in his life schedule wise. So this was a really great episode and a great conversation. I know you guys, if you're fans of the books, which many of you are, you tell me all the time when I talk about Jack and other podcasts or post about repost his stuff. Um, you guys are going to love this one. So without further ado, here is the conversation with the man himself, Jack Carr. All right, we're good live now. We are with Jack Carr. Jack, good to talk to you again, man. How are you doing? Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm pumped. I'm last time we talked was there was there's been a lot happened since last time uh, you and I you and I talked last spring and uh, yeah, obviously, year. yeah, obviously the big one uh, for you is the new book, and then the other huge one is the show, which uh, last time we talked was just starting filming. I think was right around that time. So now there's like a date, and it's right around the corner. So like, man, how's everything been going? Yeah, July first, the show comes out. May seventeenth, the uh, the next book in the blood comes out. Yes. Um, so it's been a busy working on book six right now, the next one. But uh, yeah, right after we talked, right around that time, they started filming uh, the Terminalist. So yeah. eight part series with Chris Pratt, and I was involved in the uh, every single aspect of production, which is crazy because usually they like to get rid of the author right away, so you're not on set saying right. you're my vision. Um, so it's really cool being able to uh, work on that pilot episode with the uh, the showrunner and then see how Chris and Antoine Fuqua, the director and the showrunner, took it to Amazon and Netflix and Hulu and Showtime and all these different places and then ended up in a uh, bidding war between Amazon and uh, and Netflix and having Amazon Prime video win out uh, and then see them filming and how all those the uh, different scripts for the different episodes like morphed as we're on set because now you have these other actors coming in that are bringing you know their vision of that character or some of the times their personality even a little bit like to those yeah. roles and so if it changes something changes in episode one or two because of what that actor is adding uh to it well guess what there are second and third order effects to episode three four five six and seven mm -hmm. uh and then you have things like weather they get to weather gets has plays a role uh yeah. deadlines uh, a lot of things play in uh so it was really interesting to see how all that came together and then into the post-production process where you're doing the editing uh and i can I, my technical takeaways are uh that i'm shocked one that anything ever gets made in hollywood and two <laughs> that anything good ever gets made in hollywood because there are so many opportunities to mess it up along the way right. that uh i mean i was forgiving before when i saw something on uh on a show that wasn't quite right or whatever yeah. Now I am so much more forgiving uh, than I was in the past, even just because now I see how easy yeah. it is to mess these things up at all different stages of the process. That's really cool. The from a character perspective, too, when you are adapting something to television or movie or whatever it is, having created like these characters, this was something I was curious about, like because you mentioned you'd see like the actors kind of bringing in their own you know, maybe takes on certain aspects of the character. Was there any that where you're like, oh, that actually, that's actually really cool. Like that wasn't something I considered like somebody bringing to life something from one of the characters. Yeah. Um, and there, there's a few because now you're telling a story visually. And yeah. I mean, you can go through and you could go through the book right here and, and be like, ah, oh, this is different. This is different. This is different. Oh, I hate it. Ah. Uh, so you can go through like that or you could be like, oh, look at that. Look at the care they took to make sure that Darcy Eccles built like a fake sniper rifle exactly like described in the book with the exact scope that Night Force doesn't even make anymore that's right. on there. 
Um, and you could look at like that and then see, oh, it's so cool how they stayed true to like the gritty primal nature of the book um, the, and all that sort of thing. Um, and then, or you could be like, hey, this character doesn't even exist in the book. Where did that come from? Or, hey, this character is like yeah. two people in the book and now they're one person kind of here. Oh, so there are yeah. those things that happen because you have eight episodes to tell this story and now you're telling it visually. Um, and I knew that there would be those changes going in. Um, but when you're working with Chris Pratt and Antoine Fuqua, I mean, you're in, mm -hmm. you're in good hands. And uh, when you all have the same vision for it, meaning you want to stay true to that gritty, primal, authentic nature of the book, yeah. uh, and you're on that same page all together, and you both all know that, uh, that things are going to change just because of the nature of film, um, that it's, it made for a, a great personal and professional working relationship with those guys. Can't say enough great things about them or the showrunner david agilio who's like in a series a showrunner uh is like a director on a feature film meaning they're managing multiple directors for different episodes yeah. and kind of everything that's going on um and so it was really like the four of us from day one that were working on this thing and uh cool. i couldn't be thrilled with, with how it's come out but to answer your question yes there are uh characters that are different than are in the book even if they uh might have the same name they might have shifted a bit and had that act bring so much to it. Um, and uh, yeah, so this just, it's just really cool to see it all come to life. I just feel extremely fortunate. I'm, I'm excited to see it too, because, you know, transitioning a little bit into the new one here, which I've got and crushed it in about two days after. Oh man, thank you. <laughs> Literally one of those, like the cliche can't put it down type of things. As I'm reading it, I, I, I finished the book and then like a couple days later, my wife and I were just watching like old episodes of Parks and Rec or something like that and watching uh, Pratt and like the early the early stuff. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I've had a lot of Chris Pratt in my life lately and I really hadn't. But I'm visualizing him as I'm like reading the book. And so he's just like at the front of my mind for like two or three days, which is like really cool, because like I'm like I said, I'm totally stoked to see how he uh, goes forward with with the role and having it be an Amazon thing, I always, you know, what just like the changes in how television is done now with these streaming companies, and you basically can kind of do whatever you want. In in a lot of senses, you're not bound by, you know, like network rules or cable, like things you can't show, which like in your stories, probably wouldn't get made on a lot of like network shows to do it justice to like what the books are, would you say? Yeah, so it's really interesting. It's obviously my first time dealing with uh, with Hollywood and being part of a process like this. Um, but uh, it, it's interesting in that there are still like it's the, it's the wild west for sure. Uh, and yeah. there's, maybe there's a there's a window there. I'm not sure how you know how how long or how how large I guess that window is. Um, but there's a window to do things on streaming services right now, um, and maybe it's going to be open for for a long time. But uh, whether it's scripted or unscripted, uh, meaning whether it's like reality or it's like a, a you sure. know, scripted show, fiction, um, there, there's definitely opportunity there. Um, but then there's also algorithms, and those algorithms, it's interesting, and you don't see it. No one really talks about it. But it's interesting, kind of like when you say there were network rules in the old days, right. uh, let's say 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah. And now, yeah, there's not those rules, but guess what there are? Algorithms. And guess what there weren't in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s? Algorithms. You couldn't like look at data from how long somebody is going to watch a certain actor in something and then have that impact how long you're going to keep them on screen or if you're going to have them on screen at all. There is so much data, just like in our personal lives, how much we're getting collected on, 
guess what? <laughs> if you're on a streaming service on a TV show, they're not not collecting data on uh, on viewers and viewer habits, and they're not not using that data uh, to uh, keep eyeballs glued to the screen um, and to get more subscribers. Uh, I mean, it's a business model, so it's really interesting. Uh, and so when you have something like this, uh, that we had to kind of break past some of those algorithms, if that makes sense. So it would be yeah. in uh, in the old days breaking some a rule uh like looking at the screen like they did in magnum you know breaking that, right. that that barrier of the wall looking into the screen like that like that was a big deal no one did that up until that point um or even and to continue with the magnum references first time a uh, a protagonist of a television show in prime time kills an unarmed person on network television it's one of the great and they had to fight for that they had to fight to break that rule but they broke it and it is one of the most uh, memorable episodes of all television in the 80s um yeah. did you see the sunrise uh, right exactly there you go nice yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh, but that's a breaking a rule um right. so now you need to you're up against algorithms in many cases so you have to break that algorithm um and then you have to so bring that art back to it if that makes if that makes sense um yeah. and so that's been really really interesting so we, we got to do that in this and but you need some big guns you need a chris pratt you need an antoine yeah. Uh, in particular, to uh, to do some of those things uh, and to keep that art portion of it to keep it from being algor completely algorithm based, totally. um, which is unfortunately I think where a lot of things are headed. Uh, obviously, not just in what we watch, but in what we you know do on these things. Um, yeah. It's all inter interconnected. So that's been that was very interesting uh, to see that. But once you know you're, what you're dealing with, it allows you to to make decisions, to right. uh, to make arguments, to 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 tailor your case. Uh, in a way that makes sense uh, to move yeah. something something forward, uh, because oftentimes these algorithms don't look at a big picture. They don't look strategically. They look very very tactically at something if that makes if that makes sense. So yeah. so you just got to know the the space in which you're which you're working and uh, and be aware uh, of uh, of elements, just like you would in anything really yeah. in life. That that was that was really interesting to me anyway. And you see, like with when you said like the Wild West example, like right now it's like you have these. You know, whether you're fighting, like you said, the algorithm, it's like, well, let's just try this and see what happens. And like, you're kind of testing like those limits on where all that stuff is. And, oh, yeah. And it's like kind of almost like real time feedback on a lot of this stuff with just how quick all this technology is. It's like, nope, that wasn't going to work. Like, but it gives you that feedback and you're like, OK, well, now we know, like, maybe we can't get away with some of this kind of stuff. But this stuff helps us out a lot, which is kind of just like you said, Wild West, you have no idea, but you got to test all these things. That's it. That's it. And, uh, and that's a great argument to make as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, but it, that, that part was was fascinating. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I won't talk about exactly which which portions were, but sure. people will probably be able to guess. Um, and maybe I'll talk about it a little bit afterward, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I feel very fortunate to have been involved in all this and not just be on the outside kind of hoping it's going to be OK, which right. is usually the case with, uh, yeah. with authors and the work. That's really cool. And then the transition into the new book so you know because we don't want to i'm you know we it hasn't come out yet we're still you know by the time this one drops actually this episode will drop like the week the book comes out so nice. by then it'll all be timed up nicely but until that point there hasn't been you know anything divulged uh in terms of the story but uh last time we talked you know following you know when devil's hand came out we're coming right out of like the main in heat of the beginning parts of the pandemic right and so it was kind of crazy you know how this stuff kind of ties in and how you're seeing these things and working them into the story. 
Was there a lot of that? I mean, is that kind of the normal process with each novel? It's like you're kind of taking the lay of the land of what some global stories are to begin to kind of work in? Or do you have, like, some stuff planned out several steps ahead? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I do have things planned out, but then uh, you have to morph. You have to, you have to yeah. adapt. So in, in The Devil's Hand in particular, uh, the whole theme of that book is the enemy and what they have learned from us on the field of battle over the last 20 years. And so I start writing that. So that's what I'm doing. I'm putting myself in the enemy's shoes for a year, a year and a half. And during that time, well, COVID hits. And if I'm the enemy, I'm not not learning things from our response to COVID. I am learning things and I'm incorporating that into my battle plans. And by enemy, I mean uh, Russia, I mean Iran, I mean North Korea, I mean China, I mean super empowered individuals, I mean terrorist organizations, like that's whose shoes I'm standing in to look at our country and then learn lessons. Um, so they can learn things from us in Iraq and Afghanistan. They can learn something from our response to COVID. So that's what's happening as I'm typing away. So, okay, I'm in the enemy's shoes. That's going to get incorporated into this novel. Uh, then we have a summer back then when I was writing of civil unrest in 2020. And, uh, well, they're certainly learning something from uh, a response to that as well. Uh, and so that gets woven in. We have a very divisive um, election cycle and political season, uh, which essentially continues to this day. Well, yeah. it's not like the enemy's not looking at that and learning and figuring out how to exploit that as a weakness. Uh, they certainly are. So it became very natural to incorporate those into that book in particular. Um, True Believer, my second novel, which came out in 2019, I have a part in there where it that, uh, works into the storyline about Russia invading Ukraine and how they did that. And it becomes, it becomes a very, uh, uh, it becomes a point in the story that moves it forward because yeah. it's one of the things that one of the bad guys needs to have happen in order to get back to Russia into a position of power. Um, so, but that was 2019 and now we have this uh, invasion in Ukraine, but you didn't need to be Nostradamus to, to figure out that was happening right. at some point. Um, people, I don't know how people are shocked by that um, because the, the writing's been on the wall for a very long time yeah. on, on that. Um, but uh, but it is very natural to incorporate current events in because you're thinking about them just as a citizen of the country, not necessarily as an author, but just as a citizen. And then as an author, it becomes very natural to incorporate those in because you are thinking about them and you're thinking about how they impact your family in particular um, or other families across the country, how it changes us as a nation, how we move forward, um, how we, so it, all these things play in because uh, they, uh, I'm writing political thrillers and by their very nature, they are, sim they are timely. Uh, so in this one, in, in the blood, uh, I went deep into cybersecurity, into artificial intelligence, into quantum computing, into mass data storage, uh, surveillance of, of US citizens by the government. Um, so I did a deep dive into all of that. And oh. people who have read it so far say it's even scarier than the devil's hand. Oh, it's uh, terrifying, like, dude. I was literally gonna say, <laughs> oh, literally gonna say. There's, there's, some, there's several portions of it where I like, it's one of those, like, you have to suspend disbelief kind of things on it, you know, because I'm reading it and I'm like, I, this is, no, I don't want any of this to be real, but I know like what, you know, how much is exaggerated for story or how much is like real on the nose kind of stuff. Like, you know, yeah. it's all of it, no matter if it is or isn't like the, the most innocent explanation for all of it is still terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting the people I talk to. So the research you can do on that is still dated. Like uh, we think about the Edward Snowden, nice coffee cup, yeah. uh, Edward Snowden <laughs> era, and that was still a decade ago. 
Um, so all those things that you read about in, in his book, that's dated now. There has been essentially a decade of uh, uh, advancements in technology, of surveillance, of us using the quote unquote Internet of Things. Um, so when I wrote this book, I talked to people that are involved or had touch points. Uh, and it's just kind of like with the devil's hand, when you talk to people in, uh, in bioweapons research, uh, they all don't tell you something because they want to don't want to divulge anything uh, that could be harmful to national security. Um, so you, if you interview, just like a journalist, if you interview 10 people, well, each one of them might leave something out that's different and allows yeah. you to put together this mosaic, uh, kind of fill in the gaps, that sort of a thing, which is what I'm doing as, a, as an author, which is what I did with In the Blood. Um, and all of the people that I interviewed told me that, hey, we could tell you more, but you want to keep your book out of the science fiction um, <laughs> section of the bookstore. Uh, so right. that tells you quite a bit right there. If, yeah. uh, if what's in the book isn't even uh, as much as what's really going on out there, then wow, we got a lot. Yeah, we got a lot to deal with in the future. Well, that's like one of the, one of the, I can't remember who I've heard say it before. And I'll probably think of it as soon as we're done talking, but in reference to like all of this technology and how fast it gets developed. And it's like, if they're telling you about it, it's been around for five or six years. Yeah. Like, you know, there's, there's stuff that they won't even like, because in often instances and some of the stuff that's like in the book, people couldn't handle that. If it was like, some of it was public knowledge right away, you know? And so yep. whatever you, you, we know as is existing has probably already been around for a while. They're already on to the next thing. Yeah. It's crazy. So as far as I know, everything that you read in that book is, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's out there. <laughs> so crazy yeah. man. it's one of those things where you know because you know like you said it's it's technology it's data it's ai it's kind of stuff it's like this kind of stuff this book is what makes me want to like take all this laptop and phone and just send it careening off a cliff i know when i talk about that in the book like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so true though i'm just like nope we're just going to the mountains and i'm never coming back <laughs> you know? i know i know yeah uh kyle lamb texted me after he finished it he's a former delta operator who's in mogadishu and uh has viking tactics awesome guy mm -hmm. but he wrote me and was like hey this is my favorite one yet mm -hmm. and he's like this is terrifying yeah. which was pretty cool to hear from him because he'd shoot me straight uh you know right. he would tell me that he hated it uh so whenever i whenever i send a book to him i'm always like oh man he's right. how can I like this because he's for sure not going to sugarcoat anything right no it really is man but it's it's awesome and it honestly i think until this one true believer probably was my favorite of the ones uh, so thanks. far and i think this one just from the sheer like in the moment of it and the relationship to all this stuff that we have it's like it's up there for me too man so i'm oh, thank you about it um, I, I want to ask a little bit about like your actual process for for these things, because this last one, I think I remember you like took off and went up into the wilderness for however long, just kind of isolated to work on that. Is that like yeah. a normal kind of procedure for you or was this kind of like different circumstances where you just needed to like peace out for a while and get some stuff done? Yeah. So what I need is I don't need a view. I don't need uh, anything like that. What I do need is uninterrupted quiet time mm. uh and for those parents out there listening or yes. watching you know that it's very difficult to come by especially awesome. if you have multiple kids dog <laughs> wife you know all the rest of it um so we're in that stage right now with uh kids in various stages of uh, elementary middle high school you know all that sort of thing so it's uh it's chaos as well yeah. is what i'm saying all parents will know what i'm talking about uh so Absolutely. 
really for the first one, I was still in the military when I started writing uh, uh, Terminal List. And so that one's really written between 10 o'clock at night and like three in the morning, because that's when it was quiet uh, in the house. Um, and really same thing. The, the next one I was out uh, of the military, but in a transition and a move from San Diego to Park City, Utah. So uh, kind of finding time to do it there, but still really late at night. Um, and for this last one, and written for the other one, for the next, last one, COVID hit. So I was writing the library, so I'm going for, for the next one, for Savage Sun, I'm writing it in, in the library, uh, which was great because they have these quiet study rooms uh, that you can go into, and it's just a blank wall. Perfect. Lock the door. That's just I can just be in there in a little chamber, and that's fine. I love it. Um, and then for the next one, COVID hit, so I couldn't go to the library because the library shut down. So now I'm back in the house with wife, with kids, with yeah. dog, with everybody, uh, which is wonderful, of course. <laughs> right. But if you need to write a book, and for anybody doing any work, doesn't have to do it be a book, um, knows that when you close the door to your office in the house, it's like a magnet for the kids yeah. to want to come and yeah. say hello to you. Like whatever that is, I don't know what that is, but as soon as you close the door, it's like a magnet for everybody, for the dog everyone wants to come and see you when you close that door uh so that was interesting doing that uh so for this last one i started renting airbnbs um around yeah. town uh found this one great log cabin amazing uh i could actually see the house from it and i could like flip the lights on and off so the kids could see and be hey he's on the phone like hey good night guys um but what really helped was having everything in such a small space. So you have the kitchen right there with a tiny table, with a couch, with a wood-burning stove, bedroom, bathroom. So your world is this big. You can go outside and chop some wood, which was awesome, bring it in, feed that fire. But everything is so close. You're not, and it might sound strange, but to have everything right there made it so efficient to sit down and write. Because then you get hungry, you step, you get up, you go make a sandwich and you're I don't know, five yards maybe uh, right. away from where you were writing. You're still thinking about it. You're still thinking about it. It's not like you're at home and you go to the kitchen. You're still thinking about it. And someone sees you're not writing. And, oh, can you do this, that, or the other? Oh, he must have time. You're still writing. Yeah, you're still writing. You're still thinking. You're still solving problems yeah. on the page. So for me, I really had to go someplace uh, where I could have uninterrupted time uh, to write. And uh, so that's that. that, as far as physical locations being part of the process, that really helped. But uh, process-wise, they've all been the same in that I have come up with a one-page executive summary, give or take, um, that includes the theme of the book, that includes the title of the book, because um, I don't want to be wasting bandwidth on those sorts of things as I'm writing. Uh, then I take that one-page executive summary, kind of like what you'd find on the flap jacket or the back of the book. Yeah. Uh, I'll take that, turn that into an outline and get that as kind of robust as I can uh, without getting stuck. So if I come across a portion and it's like, how's he going to get out of this? Uh, I don't spend five days thinking about how he's going to get out of that. No, I just go around it, through it, over it. I just move on knowing I have a year to figure that out. And in a year time frame, I'll be able to figure it out. Uh, and then I turn that outline into the book. Is that a process that you learned from something or someone, or is that just kind of what always, you know, that's just the, how you needed to organize it yourself to. Yeah, it was just natural. I've yeah. been a, a fan of the genre since I was a very young kid. Mm -hmm. And I always knew that after my time in the military, I would write. So without even knowing I was a student of the genre, I was a student of the genre my whole life. Right. Um, and just having that foundation of all those authors, those people like David Morrell and Nelson DeMille and AJ Quinnell and JC Pollock and Mark Olden and Tom Clancy and Louis L'Amour, um, like having that foundation growing up, just from a fan's perspective, from a reader's perspective, uh, really gave me this foundation from which to build 
later on. Uh, Stephen Hunter, and then later I found uh, Daniel Silva and Vince Flynn and Brad Thor and now Mark Graney. So all these guys that are moving the genre a little bit forward with each and everything that they do um, really became my really professors in the art of storytelling, even though I didn't look at it like that at the time. But now it's not like I woke up one day and was like, I'm going to be a writer. What should I have been reading for the previous 40 years of my life uh, in order to prepare myself for this? No, I just did that naturally. Um, yeah. So it was very natural for me to have a process without even knowing it, um, to sit down. How am I going to do this? Oh, well, it makes sense to have a theme and know what the book's about first. Okay, let me write a couple paragraphs on that. And then it's just made sense to, hey, why don't I turn this into an outline so I know where I'm going? How am I going to get there? A few elements or a couple chapters or whatever else that I know I want to incorporate somehow. Okay, put that in there. And then what do you do next? Well, you have to turn that into the book. So yeah. it was all very natural. I didn't read it in a store, in a, in a how-to type book. Because I think today, especially with the internet, you can almost study how to do something too much uh, and you never actually do the thing that you're right. studying on how to do because you say, I just need to read one more book about how to do it or how to find an agent or how to get a publisher or how to market a book or you know how to, how to write one on this person's perspective. But how does this person do it over here? And no, you just need to sit down and eventually you just need to start typing. Uh, that's what it all comes yeah. down to is doing that work. Um, I do think it's helpful to read a couple books here and there maybe, but uh, you can study how to do something forever today is because there's so much information out there without ever actually doing that. And that's not right. Just writing. That's anything really in life that you want to do uh, kind of outside of your normal day to day yeah. uh, that you have to be doing maybe. So, uh, so yeah, it was just a normal, uh, natural process just coming from being a fan of the genre from a very early age. It reminds me of a, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't know exactly, I can't remember exactly how it was worded, but it was my favorite, uh, Hemingway line ever where he says, you know, writing is easy. You just have to sit at the typewriter and bleed. Yeah, and, then that's right. and like, I mean, you, like you said, you just have to do it and then like kind of figure out your own process along the way and what's going to help. But actually doing it is going to what is what's going to make that process begin you know yeah yeah and i you know it helps to just not write it for anybody else but you uh it was just for your bedside table and then take that because then it's real it's authentic you're not wasting bandwidth thinking ah is a reader gonna like this or what if i upset this segment of society or what about like that's bandwidth wasted on not making the book the best it can possibly be so writing it for your bedside table and then after it's done going back and reworking it, making it the best you can sure. be, you can, you can make it. But first it has to be done. Like you have to have something on paper uh, before you go back and edit. So doing doing that. And then uh, Brad Thor actually gave me some advice that he got from somebody else. Um, and he passed along, I think somebody in the 70s said it maybe first, but um, they said, give yourself permission to write a bad chapter. And for me, I took that as hey, give myself permission to write a bad chapter or a bad sentence, you know, whatever, knowing that I can go back and fix it. Um, I can fix it later. So that really, and hearing that from him really gave me, um, I don't know, it, it just kind of was a relief, I guess. Like, yeah. oh, this person is saying it, For you know sure. what? That's, I'm not worried, like sit down and just get paralyzed. Like, oh, I don't know if that sentence good. I don't know if this is paragraph's good. Like, I've never thought that. I just go in, boom, I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. Uh, and, you know, even if this isn't perfect right now, guess what? I get to go back and I get to edit and I get to morph it and, and, uh, and look at it again and again. Uh, so it's, it's, all, it's all part of the process, but first you gotta sit down and write it. That's awesome. And I know we got to get out of here in a minute. I wanted to ask one more thing as far as the sort of the, the James Reese saga, right? So, you know, a lot of these, I, I don't know how far ahead you've, you've thought with this. Do you see like a finite 
point to this story and there's other stories that you want to begin to tell with, you know, kind of a main thing or are you just like riding this and it, it, you know, as long as there's stories that come up, I'm going to keep writing about James. Yeah, as long as people want to keep reading about James, I'm going to keep writing about him. Yeah. Uh, but also, I'm going to get this. When you asked about process, one thing I need to work on is getting more efficient. Um, mm. And not just not with the writing, I mean, I mean about all the other stuff. And I didn't know there were there was other stuff uh, until maybe a month or so before the first book published. I thought all you did was write as an author and sent it to New York and <laughs> start the next. To somebody they take care I of. Had us. No idea. Yeah, no idea. I thought maybe you do an interview here or there. Maybe right. um, I had no idea that you have to do anything that you would have to do for any business, uh, whether that's uh, budget, whether that's marketing, advertising, social media, engagement other content, you know, all those things you need to do for any business or any product. Well, you have to do that for writing too. Um, and, and you have to do them at a, uh, a level that's commensurate with the product, meaning the product has to be the best it can be. And then you can't have subpar anything else to support that product, right. uh, which means it takes work, especially if you're a one man show. Uh, and uh, so, so my goal this year is to, we already got the merchandise stuff. Now that is out of our kitchen and that is now outsourced. So thank goodness. So we're not printing up labels and dealing with customer service and mailing them out and packaging. Like that was chaos for a year. Uh, so something like that, boom, off the plate. Someone to schedule, because there's all these different things now uh, that you have to, those different schedules coming in. So that i hope will allow me to do other things in addition to uh the james reese stuff um, because yes. i love this character i love this storyline there's so much i can explore with him with his family background with the hastings family which are like supporting characters and they have generations i can explore so there's so much i can do with it but then there are also some other things i want to look into uh as well but what do you need to do those other things that uninterrupted time that I right. talked about uh, so, so creating that uninterrupted time is, right. uh, is what I'm about uh, trying to figure out this year anyway. And that's a, that's going to be a continual process, I think, as it is for, for anybody in the creative space. That's awesome. Well, Jack, man, I really appreciate you making time. Uh, I know how swamped you are with all this stuff, but it was a pleasure to talk to you again and go check out the book. It's like, when this drops, like I said, it's coming out that week, this week. So go get it now. If you haven't pre-ordered it, check out the show in a couple of months and, uh, thanks again, man. I appreciate you. Oh, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And uh, hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Penfed's